I want to talk to you today about a winning attitude. There is a losing attitude and there is a winning attitude. And for the third week now, we're talking about attitude. And um, we've all got one. Everyone in here walked in here with an attitude. And you live with your attitude and everybody who lives with you lives with your attitude, whether it's good or bad. So today, I want to talk to you about how to have a winning attitude, which is a biblical thought. A winning attitude is found in the Bible, especially in Paul. So let's read um, right here a couple of verses out of 1 Thessalonians 5. And I want you to read them with me because you know these verses. And it's, it's so good. Now, what Paul is doing here, he's telling us where he got his attitude, how he maintained his winning attitude. So let's read it together. Are you ready? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this, that is those three things, is the will of God and Christ Jesus concerning you. So if you're wondering what the will of God is, we just read three things that are God's will for everybody in this sanctuary. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the will of God revealed in these verses. And Lord, I pray you'll help us to have an attitude that is victorious, that is triumphant, that carries us from victory to victory and faith to faith. Thank you, Lord, for renewing our minds today. Lord, how we need our minds renewed. And Lord, I thank you that your word renews our mind. And Lord, I pray help me to communicate this effectively. And I pray that you will give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to understand what God is saying to the church today through his word. In Jesus' name, now will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, adjust my attitude. In Jesus' name. Amen. We'll tell somebody next to you, he's going to adjust your attitude today. He heard that prayer. He heard that prayer. <laughs> Now, I've been talking about the magnitude of attitude, and when I say the magnitude of attitude, I, I mean that it's important, the magnitude, the, the magnitude of it most of us never think about, but that God deeply cares about our attitude because your attitude will make you or break you, it'll help you or, or hurt you, it'll carry you forward or it'll keep you back, your attitude is important. So I talk about the magnitude of it, the magnitude, the importance of your attitude. And the good news about what the Bible tells us about attitude is it can be transformed into the same attitude that Jesus had. Or the Lord would never have told us, have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So right there in Philippians, we are told to strive for, to reach for, to make it one of our spiritual goals in life to have the attitude that was in Jesus Christ. Jesus had an attitude, but it was an incredible attitude, a winning attitude, a powerful attitude. Now, let me just recap a little bit about attitude so, so we can stay on track. What is an attitude? Your attitude is a settled way of thinking. It's a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something. Your attitude is the lens through which you view life and everything in life. Your attitude decides how you view God, how you view people, how you view circumstances, how you view yourself, how you view authority. Your attitude is a settled disposition. 
It is your mindset. It's the ultimate outcome of what you think about yourself. God rules in authority and life itself. Your attitude. Your attitude is the one thing you take with you everywhere you go. Everybody walked in with an attitude today, and you're going to leave with an attitude. Now, let me make you a prediction. You're going to leave with a better one than what you walked in with, even though you might have walked in with a really good one. I'm going to polish it today. All right, we're going to talk about attitude because your attitude matters. Now, not only do you wear it with you everywhere you go, but let me tell you the truth about people. You are known for what kind of attitude you have. People know you by your attitude. Is it positive? Is it negative? Is it up or down? Is it bitter or forgiving? Is it defeated or victorious? Some people's attitudes are so incredible, people want to be around them all the time. Other people's are so negative, nobody wants to be around them all the time. You wear your attitude on your face, on your countenance, in the way you walk. Do you know that your posture is decided by your attitude? The way you hold yourself, carry yourself, the things you say, the direction in life that you go. These are all things that are affected by your attitude. Let me tell you something. Your attitude is a, is a real reflection of your faith level. Because if you believe that God is a God of blessing and a God of victory and a God who delivers and a God who heals and a God who is good, who works all things together for the good of those who love him, then that's going to affect your attitude. Your attitude mirrors your faith level. It really does. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Think about that for a moment. As a man thinks... The way you think decides your attitude. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Your attitude decides the kind of person you are. Your thoughts decide who you become. You today are the ultimate outcome of your thought life and the resulting attitude that you walk in. Your attitude can carry you from victory to victory, or it can hinder you at every turn, your attitude. Now, we also saw last time that our attitude is the byproduct of how we responded to adversity in our past. Now, think about it for a moment. You go through a hard time. You go through a tough time. Somebody betrays you. You lose a job. Somebody walks out on you. You go through a very difficult moment. It's a trial. It's a test. And with every trial and test we go through, We respond to it in a certain way. And how we respond to it, listen carefully, decides what our attitude will be when we emerge from it. Your attitude is the result of how you responded to adversity when you were in the adversity. Did we praise God? Did we trust God? Did we forgive others? Did we get up and try again after failure? Did we say, Lord, I just praise you anyway. I'm praising you in this. And and I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep my faith strong. I'm not going to get negative. I'm not going to doubt you. Or did we get mad at God, become bitter at others, decide life was against us and not even worth trying anymore? Based on your and my response to adversity is what hammers out your attitude. You see some people, they're walking around, they're mad at God, mad at the world, mad at everybody else, mad at themselves. You can talk to them for three minutes and they're just mad. What are you mad about? I don't know, I'm just mad. They got a chip on their shoulder. They're angry at life. 
And you can, you can know this, that somewhere back there, they went through a trial, and in the trial, they responded negatively. They responded in unbelief. They responded by getting mad at God or, or, or mad at people and not forgiving. And now you are looking at the attitude that came out of the crucible of that trial. Whichever response we choose is what forms the attitude that we have today. A winning one, a losing one, a victorious one, a defeated one. I don't know what your attitude is today. Only you and the people who live around you know what your attitude is today. But I can tell you, you can have a victorious one that carries you forward, onward, and upward, or you can have a negative one that's holding you back. And the good news is we can change our attitude by the renewing of our minds. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Everybody say transformed. How in the world am I transformed? That's the Greek word metamorphuo. We get metamorphosis from that word. It means a total change, like a butterfly going from a caterpillar to a butterfly. A caterpillar walking around, crawling around on all those legs, just eating everything in sight. But he weaves into a cocoon and he comes out a beautiful butterfly totally different from the caterpillar and we say that was a metamorphosis that's the word be transformed by the renewing of your mind in other words you're one thing when you start and you are something completely different when you end if any man be in christ he's a new creation the old has passed away everybody say all all say it again all is become new so we can, we can change our attitude by the renewing of our mind. Now, I came to the conclusion years ago that the Apostle Paul had the most positive winning attitude in the entire Bible. More than David, more than Simon Peter, more than anybody that I could find. Paul the Apostle had this incredible winning attitude. The man blows me away. His attitude, the way he was able to adjust his attitude and adversity, and you could not knock him down. You could whip him, you could jail him, you could persecute him, you could ostracize him, you could slander him, you could do anything in the world to Paul, but he always came out with a winning attitude. And he tells us where he got it. He said, I want you to have the same attitude in you that was in Jesus Christ. Where did I get my attitude, Paul is telling us? I got it from Jesus. And if you want to know what Jesus' attitude was, you need to look at the Apostle Paul because he models Jesus' attitude better than anybody in the entire Bible. His attitude is amazing. so amazing to me. I call him the attitude king. He's the king of a positive attitude. And he says, I got it from Jesus. I got this attitude from Jesus. And my advice to you is that you have the same attitude in you that was in Jesus Christ. So let me just show you Paul's, give you a couple of examples of Paul's winning attitude. And as I read these things, I want you to stop and think, what would I have done in these situations? Because I see what Paul did. What would I have done? Let me give you an example. From a dark, dingy prison cell where his entire life was bound to uncertainty, he wrote, rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. Do you see here that it's a choice to rejoice? Do you think being in a prison cell made him feel like rejoicing? No, but he said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, in case you missed it, I say rejoice. 
There he is in prison, and what is he doing? He's advising us to rejoice, writing from a prison cell. Now, what would we be doing? I think a lot of American Christians would be calling their lawyer. I've been put in prison for something that I didn't do. I didn't break any laws. Uh, there's a lot of American Christians that would be saying, don't discriminate against me this way. You're discriminating against me. That's not what Paul did at all. Paul said, you know what I'm going to do in prison? I make the choice to rejoice, and I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Can you say with me, that's attitude. What would you have done? Let me give you another example. When thrown into another prison, not for breaking a law, but for setting a young girl free from a demon, he's thrown into prison. But before he's thrown into prison, he's whipped 39 times with a whip across his back. If you had taken Paul's shirt off and looked at his back, the back, his back looked like a road map. Scars crisscrossing his back from receiving 39 lashes five times. I counted, that's 195 whips across his back. But what does he do? It says, after he's whipped, he's thrown into prison. And then his legs are put in shackles. He's in maximum security. And yet, what does he do? At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang hymns to God. Everybody say attitude. His faith affected his attitude. He said, Silas, there's nothing we can do, but I believe that God's in charge. Let's just break loose into a praise session. And the praise session led to the original jailhouse rock. Because God said, I'm looking down at my kids. There they are praising me in the middle of adversity. I can't take it. And he sent angels. And there was a great earthquake. And all the prison doors swung open. And all of their shackles dropped off. And that happened by a man who refused to let his attitude be beaten down by circumstances. When he was experiencing a thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. I have my own ideas. But... He was experiencing a thorn in the flesh. We do know this. It was a deep, persistent, vexing irritation that would not go away. And he went to God with it three times. And God said to him finally, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And so he said, I'm not going to take the thorn away, but I'm going to grace you to walk with that thorn. Now, a lot of us would have said, well, thanks a lot, God. Here I am, I'm being thrown in prison for you. I'm being whipped for you. I've lost everything for you. and You can't even take this thorn away. I'm picking up my marbles and going home. And we'd have had an attitude. Boy, thanks God. I thought you were good. But that's not what Paul did. Paul said, no, listen, listen to his response. And, and, and think, would I have done this? And I've thought this myself. He said, now I'm glad to boast about how weak I am. I am glad to be a living demonstration of Christ's power instead of showing off my own power and abilities. Since I know, everybody say, I know. know. See, do you know what he's about to tell us he knows? He said, since I know, it's all for Christ's good. I am quite happy about the thorn. Say, what? You're happy about a daily, hourly, persistent irritating vexation. And then he said, and while I'm at it, not just the thorn, but about insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties, 
For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you hear the attitude in that? This is reeking of a winning attitude. When I am weak, then I am strong. The less I have, the more I depend on him. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise today. Come on, everybody. Everybody say the attitude king. He's the attitude king. Look at this. You can't knock him down. Over and over again, this great man was assailed with adversities of every single kind, yet the winning attitude that he had only soared in spite of it all. He had a winning attitude. So I want to know where he got it. I want to know how I can walk in it. How about you? How about you? I want to know where he got it. So I'm going to dissect his attitude. Well, he really dissected it for us. And he told us, here's where I get. Here's how I maintain this attitude that you can't knock down, that you can't extinguish, that you can't take away from me. You can do a lot of things to me, but you cannot take my winning attitude away from me. And so here's how he did it. First of all, he believed God was in charge of his life. I want you to say with me, God's in charge. Do you really believe that? Listen to what he said. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, I have no problem with the rejoicing in the Lord till you get to the always part. Now, I don't know about you, but I read those verses and I say, wow, those are great verses, incredible verses. I love those verses. But do you ever, have you ever tried that? Rejoice in the Lord some of the time. Rejoice in the Lord when things go my way. Rejoice in the Lord when God answers my prayer. But he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And when I read that and I think about some of the things that I experienced throughout the week that are anything but a cause to rejoice, then the only way, listen carefully to me, that I can always rejoice in the Lord is if I believe that God is ultimately in charge of my life and is working things out for my good, like Romans 8.28 says, and we know that all things work together for good. All things, bad things, good things, in-between things, betrayals, backstabbings, disappointments, disillusionments, letdowns, all things, all things are made by God to work together for my good. You know what that verse is telling me? God's in charge of everything in my life. I believe that Paul and Silas could sing in jail at the midnight hour because they believed the Lord was in charge of their lives. There they are, maximum security, in a deep dungeon, shackled, backs burning, whipped, and yet they sang to the Lord and they lifted up their praise. What were they saying when they did that? I believe that God is ultimately in charge. It looks like it's out of control. It's not out of control. It looks like I'm out of control. I'm not out of control. My God is in charge, and when he gets good and ready to let me out of here, he will let me out of here. But in the meantime, I'm going to lift up my hands, and I'm going to praise him, and I'm not going to let the devil, I'm not going to let circumstances, I'm not going to let evil men take away from me my joy and my winning attitude. Come on, everybody. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the rubber meets the road. This separates the men from the boys, those that believe the word and those who don't. 
Paul could write from the depressing depths of a prison cell, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And then another great example is Joseph. Joseph is one of my favorite Bible characters. Let me tell you what happened to Joseph in a nutshell. He was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. Think about that. Sold away into slavery by his own brothers. Lied about by his boss's wife. Thrown into prison for something terrible that he didn't do. And he was forgotten by two men that he was good to. Now let me just go over those. Betrayed, enslaved, slandered, imprisoned, forgotten. Now most people going through something like that would say, God's against me. I don't understand where God is. Why isn't he answering my prayer? Why isn't he helping me? Uh, how, how have I ended up in a situation like this? Or they'd be bitter at their brothers. They'd be carrying a chip on their shoulder. Their attitude would be negative because of all that they had gone through. But folks, I'm here to tell you that when you read Joseph's life, you do not see a negative attitude, but you see an upbeat, faith-filled, positive outlook attitude. Now, betrayed, enslaved, slandered, imprisoned, forgotten. How in the world did he maintain an upbeat, winning attitude? He tells us how, and it's one of my favorite verses. He looked right at his brothers after daddy died, daddy Jacob died, and, and, and they were afraid that Joseph was going to take vengeance on them. Joseph said, you don't understand, because I understand something about God. He's in charge of my life. And then he said this, you intended to harm me. But God intended it. Oh, I love but God. You intended to hurt me, but God. You intended to destroy me, but God intended it all for good. Good stuff. He goes on. He says, he brought me. He brought me to this position. So I could save the lives of many people. He's saying, he put me in Egypt. He put me second only to Pharaoh so that I could save the lives of the lineage that would bring forth Messiah Jesus. I'm a man of destiny. I'm a man of purpose. And though you tried to hurt me, you couldn't hurt me because no weapon formed against a child of God can prosper in any tongue that rises against you in judgment. You will condemn for this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and our righteousness is of him, says the Lord. Come on, church. Evil people can't hurt you. I love, you intended, but God intended. You intended to hurt me, but God overruled you. And the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and the Lord delights in his way. And though he fall, he will not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. When evil men try to hurt you, there is a sovereign God who always says, checkmate. He always says checkmate. It may look like the devil is winning the day, but the final chapter has not been written. If you will praise him, if you'll keep your attitude right, stay in the word, stay in prayer, because the way it looks today may not be the way it looks tomorrow, because God is preparing a table. I think I'm going to preach a little bit today. God is preparing a table before you in the very presence of your enemies. He's going to make your enemy watch while he blesses you and delivers you and provides for you and heals you.
And the Psalms totally agree with Joseph's assessment. It says, he, God, Psalms 105, verse 16, he, God, called for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off the food supply. Then he, God, sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Notice, it wasn't his brothers that sent him. It was God who sent him. God just used the evil of his brothers to work it for Joseph's good. They were nothing but pawns in the hands of God to bring about Joseph's destiny. See, the devil's always overplaying his hand. He sent the famine famine on Canaan. God did. He sent it. He says he did. He sent Joseph to Egypt. So ultimately, it wasn't his betraying brothers that sent him there, that sold him into slavery. God's hand was overruling the whole thing and leading his son, his called one, into Egypt, knowing the day would come. He was second only to Pharaoh, and all the tribes of Israel would be saved from starving to death because he sent his man ahead of them to Egypt, and he overruled the evil his brothers intended. And this understanding of God's sovereignty is what contributed to Joseph's winning attitude. Listen, just because bad, difficult, trying or testing things happen in the life of a child of God doesn't mean God's not in charge. He's always overruling all of it and ordering your steps to the final conclusion he had for you. Man. So just say with me, God's in charge. Now the second ingredient to a winning attitude that I see in Paul, he told us he was thankful. In everything, give thanks. Rejoice in the Lord always. So there's always that hard word. But now in this one, there's a hard one too. In everything. In everything, give thanks. So we got always in everything. And here again, it's difficult to imagine giving thanks in everything until you realize it helps when you stop to think. He didn't say give thanks for everything because everything is not thankworthy. You don't give thanks for something the devil does. You don't give thanks for some evil a person commits. But he didn't say in everything or for everything give thanks. He said in the presence of every circumstance you find yourself in, in it, give thanks. In it, give thanks. But you know what? That's a tough call too. I don't know about you, but that doesn't come natural to me. When I'm sitting in the line at Kroger and there's 10 people in front of me, And the guy that is at the checkout right then with all those groceries, his card won't work. And they're calling the assistant manager, and then they call the manager. And and, and this guy obviously has a card that is never going to work. And we're standing there, and the line is stacking up. I do not feel an anointing on myself to right then stop and in everything give thanks. I do feel that to say, Lord, would you take care of this man right now? Would you get him out of here? But technically, what Paul is telling us here is right then, you ought to stop and have a praise moment. In everything, give thanks. In the presence of every circumstance, good, bad, or indifferent, in it, give thanks. And if I believe that God's in charge, and I believe he's providentially leading me, then I can do that because He's going to work it out. You can't believe what happened to me Friday night. I'm going to give you an example. I'm not going to tell you what happened to me Friday night. 
Okay, I'll tell you what happened to me Friday night. Here's what happened Friday night. Friday night, I was, gonna, I was, I was on a nationwide call-in radio show where you call in the pastor from all over the country and you ask Bible questions. And I do that about every six weeks or so. Um, I'm the one on there, and I, and I, I did it Friday night. And it starts at 5 o'clock here. I'm supposed to be here at 5 o'clock. Well, I was supposed to be here at 4.30, do a sound check, make sure everything's working. And then it goes at 5. And at 5 o'clock, at the flip of a switch, we are on to the entire United States of America in every city. Now, I left in plenty of time. I left my house. Then I got on I-35. I'm going to write a song about I-35. I'm going to call it Highway from Hell. I-35, it never goes my way. It is always against me. It always tests my faith and my religion. I got on I-35 thinking, I'm cool. It's all right. I got plenty of time because I left in plenty of time. And before I knew it, it's at a total standstill. Now, I have my GPS on, and I have it uh, set to a woman's voice who is British. Get off at the next route. Turn left, and, you know, it's the British accent. I just like the British accent. So I'm stuck, and all of a sudden, my little GPS comes up and says, I have an, al- I have an alternate route, and says, get off here. And so I thought, ah, she sees something I don't see. She sees that I can get off here and get there quicker. So I got off, and I was stuck. <laughs> Listen, GPS is right most of the time, but it's not as good as Jesus. I should have listened to the Holy Ghost and stayed on, but I listened to the GPS. It gave me a little lesson. Never choose the GPS over the Holy Ghost. I got off, and I'm sitting there at a red light, and I'm watching the 35 traffic go by as I just sit there. Now, I'm watching my clock go, and all of a sudden, my GPS says, shows me arriving here at 5. I'm supposed to be here at 4.30. Five o'clock is when we go live. Shows me getting here at five. You know what I did? At first, I had a fit. And then I decided I can have a fit or I can have a benefit. So I said, Lord, you're in charge. I believe you're in charge. Lord, if you want me on that show, you know all the people that are going to hell. You know all the people that need this show. So, Lord, if you want me on this show, then you've got to get me there on time. And I thought, you're the way maker. You can part the Red Sea. You can part this traffic. And so, red light, green light, red light. I waited for four lights to change for me to get back on the highway. I rolled up here at 4.59. Valerie was at the door. She said, go. I ran up the stairs. I sat down and put on those headphones. I said, hello, America. Oh, and I forgot to tell you, when I pulled up, I had 10 miles of gas left. Oh, I was in a stress situation, deluxe. And so I had to make up my mind. I can sit here and have a fit and get out of the spirit and get in the flesh, and I will not bless anybody in America. Or I can just start right here and say, Lord, I believe you're in charge. You're going to get me there on time. And I mean, you talk about an 1159 God. I got there at 1159. Everybody say, give thanks. 
in everything. Give thanks. I thanked him. He was in charge, and he got me there. Listen, if you want to change your attitude, thank God. Be thankful. If you've got a bad attitude, sour attitude, defeated attitude, the number one thing that will, that will bulldoze that attitude away is being thankful. Sometimes you've got to look for the silver lining in the dark clouds. It's always there. The silver lining is always there. And that's what you look for, and that's what you thank God for. The great Bible commentator Matthew Henry was held up and robbed one night on his way home. I love Matthew Henry's commentary. I read him a lot. But he was robbed one night going home. He later wrote these words in his journal. Let me be thankful. First, because he never robbed me before. Second, let me be thankful, because although he took my purse, he did not take my life. Third, let me be thankful, because although he took all I possessed, it wasn't much. Fourth, Let me be thankful because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. Now, that's the silver lining. See, he found the silver lining and he thanked God. His attitude remained a winning attitude. So say with me, be thankful. God's in charge. And one last thing, he said, pray always, pray always, pray without ceasing, pray always. He said, pray, 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 pray always. Why? Because when we pray, not only to get answers to prayer, but when we pray, we come into contact with the attitude king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus in the place of prayer always comforts, always encourages, always strengthens us, always sends a word of hope. It's in the place of prayer. Our burdens are lifted. Our sorrows are comforted. Our worries are removed. And our attitude is transformed in the place of prayer. But here's the main reason that I want to bring out today because we're dealing with an attitude. The main reason you pray and why it helps you maintain a winning attitude is because when you pray, it changes the way you see your troubles. Now, let me give you an example. A man named Asaph wrote many of the Psalms. He was deeply troubled when he looked around him and saw how the wicked were prospering. He said, I see the wicked prospering. Everything that they experience is good for them. They're prospering. They're doing well. They're not weeping. They're not crying. They're not dealing with financial issues. I see the wicked prospering. And then I look at me, a godly man, myself, and I see that I'm chastened all day long. And I am surrounded by troubles. And he said, this doesn't make sense. This is vexing me. This is getting to me. This is running a number on me. He describes it this way. As for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. You know what he's saying? I almost lost my faith. Because the devil was saying to him, what good does it do you to walk with God? Look at you. You're chastened all day. You're in all kinds of troubles and trials but look at the wicked. They're all prospering. How can that be right? Where's God? He said, so I almost lost my faith. My faith footing was slipping. But then he goes on to describe how he finally got his breakthrough 
and came to a place of peace. He says, this is the way I felt until I entered the sanctuary of God. That means I went into the place of prayer. Then I saw, catch this, the whole picture. The slippery road you have put the wicked on with a final crash in a ditch of delusions. In the blink of an eye, they are consumed in a moment. Before he went into prayer, he was looking at everything through the natural eye. After he went into prayer, he saw everything through God's eyes. He, he, the way he viewed his troubles was changed, and he went from envying the wicked to pitying them. Prayer adjusted Asaph's attitude because prayer changed the way he viewed his circumstances. I want you to ch- stand with me today, can you? So your attitude can change, and here's how it changes. Say it with me. By rejoicing always. Praying without ceasing. Giving thanks. Those are the keys to adjusting your attitude, my attitude. So I want us to go into the place of prayer right now, can we? Can we just lift holy hands up to the Lord? And let's just go to the the ultimate attitude king, Jesus, from whom Paul got his attitude. Lord, we just come to you right now in Jesus' name. We ask you, Lord, to help us have a winning attitude. Now, if you're like me, you have parts of, of your attitude that are very strong and good, and there's other areas where you struggle. Some of you are struggling with an attitude in your marriage. Some are struggling with an attitude at your job. Some are struggling with an attitude over people around you that you just can't change, that they're there right now. You know where you're struggling. You're struggling financially, and it's easy to get an attitude Well, things are never going to work for me. That's an attitude. And I'm going to ask us to go to the Lord together and say, Jesus, adjust it. So let's do it. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And, Lord, we need the touch of God on the attitude that we have put on. And, Lord, we're asking you, thank you for where it's strong. But, Lord, we're asking you today to help us where it's weak. Now, can you pray and say, Jesus, I give you where my attitude is weak. And I ask you to strengthen it. I not only hear this word, I will do this word. I say, I'll rejoice. I will give thanks. And I know you're in charge.